Hi, everyone. Um, John told you almost everything I was going to tell you about myself. Um, I have only been here at Wake Forest probably about as long as um, some of you. I got here a year and a half ago and have been serving as the Assistant Dean of Students. I am a care team case manager, which a lot of people don't know what that is, but I'm in the basement of Benson, which we like to call the garden level. It's really the basement. Um, and so at the end of this, if you um, want my contact information or want to know how to get in touch with me, I'd love to talk to any of you about that. I do have um, one two-and-a-half-year-old son and one little person on the way, and so we're really excited about that. Um, and so I'm just really excited to be here with you all tonight because what it really gets, what it does for me is allows me to combine um, multiple things that I'm passionate about. Um, both scripture and the word of God, and then also um, being well. And what does it look like to wrestle through life's hard things that are hard to talk about? Um, And so um, that's a little bit about me, what I do here on campus. Um, But tonight, hopefully, when we we leave this place, we're going to have a few questions answered. Um, We're going to answer, what is wellness? Um, That's what we're going to be talking about. Um, What stands in the way of us being well? And then, do we even want to be well? And so hopefully, um, what we're going to do is talk a little bit about um, having a better understanding of bridging the gap between what it means to be well um, in our world sense, um, on this campus, what we say about wellness, and then what true, lasting wellness really is. Um, And so hopefully, we'll take a look at both of those things and bridge the gap between them. Um, So let me go ahead and open our passage for tonight. Um, We're going to be reading from John 5. We're only going to read the first little bit of that. Um, And so I'm going to actually read it from my phone. Um, So right before this, um, Jesus actually actually had um, performed another miracle. Um, There was a young young son um, of a ruler and and who was believed to um, be dying. And Jesus from afar, um, actually brought him back to wellness. And so when we start um, chapter 5, it jumps right into after this. And so I think it's important for you to know what after this is. Um, So John 5 says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Um, I'm going to lift this a little bit higher, sorry, for you music folks that are going to have to fix it. Um, So when you hear this passage um, and we talk about wellness, it's really easy to think about the extreme versions of what it looks like to be unwell. In this passage alone, we talk about being blind, lame, paralyzed. I think in our culture's context, that would be equated to having cancer, having a severe diagnosis, terminal illness, something that we think is so egregious that 
Um, that is what Jesus is here to heal. But what I'd like to say and what I think I know about all of us, myself included, is that what it looks like to be unwell is actually far more subtle. Um, and I know that because at one time, which was actually longer, um, longer, longer ago than I thought it was, um, 14 years ago, I almost was a student sitting in this very spot. Um, it was 2005 and I was applying to colleges. I loved Wake Forest. It was far and away my favorite school. Um, I had done everything in college, much like you all did. Um, all the right things, the right clubs, the right leadership, service, a really nicely balanced application. Um, and yet I was waitlisted, not once, but twice. Um, the second time, not only was I waitlisted here, but I was rejected from almost all of the other schools I applied to. My reach schools, my safety schools, um, this, this idea that I was going to have this really easy time getting to where you all are today, this bubble that I just thought that I was going to get to live in, was suddenly burst. And so all of a sudden, I was looking at going to Virginia Tech or the school my sister went to. And so I chose the school that did not have my sister. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many of you all would have made the same decision, but that was the decision I made. Um, and so... I say that because when I got to college, I stayed in many of the similar patterns that I imagine you all are in. Um, you're participating across campus, whether that's in student organizations, Greek organizations, in your classes, um, you're choosing the right major. Usually it's a combination of a couple majors, a minor, the number of things you all are involved in, um, as I have heard and as I experienced myself is just immense. Um, and so if it, you're anything like me, I was walking around and I was participating not only in service opportunities, um, I was in what I thought was a top tier sorority. I was constantly moving between friend groups and commitments and all this was a pattern that I was really comfortable with. But really what it was doing was it was serving as a smoke and mirrors for what was going on inside of me. At the time, um, my family was really struggling, as I'm sure you could hear when I said I chose the school without my sister. Um, my sister was suffering significantly, and my parents were looking to me to have some sort of answer. Um, I had friends that were struggling in college um, with really hard things, um, not just... Um, not just simple matters of classes and dropping or adding the right things, but, but death. Um, we experienced, I was at Virginia Tech when the shootings happened. Um, we were experiencing just the life of conflict in, um, for me it was in a sorority, but for you all it might be in other places, in roommate situations and friendships when you're living with friends and also doing life with friends. Um, I was really struggling, and yet every morning um, I put on what was, to me, a perfectly manicured J. Crew outfit and did my day um, with what I thought was a smile on my face. Um, what ended up happening was that um, externally, even though I had people telling me I was doing a great job, internally, and quite often in my car, I was having panic attacks. Um, I was having panic attacks about what my life looked like, how much was on my plate, how I didn't know where to go or how to fix it. Um, I didn't, at the time, I don't think counseling was as accessible as maybe it is now, or at least I was in the position where I didn't feel like it was very accessible. 
Um, and so even though I really loved college, I was really suffering deeply. So I want you to hear that I both loved my friends. I loved so much of my life, and yet I was still really suffering. It doesn't have to be either or. And so for a long time, what I realized and what I can say now is that I couldn't breathe in my own life. I was living, doing my day-to-day, not being able to breathe and not taking space for myself. But it wasn't until I truly physically could not breathe and was having panic attacks that I started to pay attention. What I hope today is that um, that may be some of y'all's story. It may sound like it has um, whims of your experience. Um, But if you're not there yet, I hope that we can have a conversation tonight about what it might look like to stop before ever getting there. And for those of you who are are experiencing panic attacks or maybe far worse, um, what I hope today is to provide hope um, in in what it looks like um, when we are feeling unwell and what Jesus' invitation about being being well says for us. Um, And so for those of you all who need to bring it to the present day, I want to tell you all a little bit of just raw data. Um, You all at Wake Forest in 2017 to 2018, we participated in a study called the Healthy Mind Study. Um, The data was held for quite some time. There was 30% response rate, which if you all know much about surveys, um, that's actually a really high response rate. Usually it's in the like 16 to 18 range and our campus responded at 30%. It compared us not only to our peer institutions, but also nationally to the mental health trends on campuses. Um, And so this is what our study came back and said about us. 20% of students scored in the depression indicator as having experienced a depressive episode within two weeks of taking the survey. 6% of students measured as currently meeting the criteria for generalized anxiety disorder. 28% of students have been to therapy or counseling within the last 12 months, which is not a bad thing. It's just just a fact. And 29% of students have a lifetime diagnosis of a mental health issue. That data in and of itself is pretty comparable across campuses. It was, there was nothing that particularly stuck out at Wake Forest versus our, nas- our peer institutions or the national averages. But what did stick out is this. Even though only 7% of students believe that they would think only 7% of students believe that they would think less of someone who's re- who has received mental health treatment. But 54% of students believe that most people would think less of them if they'd received mental health treatment. So we're living in a culture on this campus that says that it's okay if someone else is unwell, but it's unacceptable if I'm not okay. And so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, little bit about why that is. So what what are the hurdles to us being well? If we can acknowledge that that's our reality and that many of us are suffering, whether that's in silence or with our friends or in their classrooms, um, I want to talk to you at least about why I think that is. Um, Much like the man at the well in John 5, we believe that there's a list of reasons and criteria we have to meet to be well. For him, he had to get to the pool when the waters were stirred, Um, He told Jesus he also has to be at the front of the line. He had to have someone to help him into the pool. He had this list of reasons when Jesus said, do you want to be well? 
where he said, but I can't, I can't possibly do that. There's a narrative about wellness in our world and here on our campus that says, um, that links wellness to our performance. It says wellness is attached to your success, whether it's for the man at the, at the pool, getting into the pool, or getting there at the right time, or having the right help. For us, it's different. It's attached to our success academically, professionally, at the gym, with your nutrition. Did you get to the gym enough times? Did you not get to? Did you meditate? Did you not? All the things about wellness that we think about um, during our week, we have this bar of whether we've met certain expectations. And so wellness in this world, and, and what I would like to say is kind of like a Thomas Kincaid painting. Do you all know Thomas Kincaid? It must be before your time. It's like the Disney world of paintings. It's like everything is magical, mysterious, perfect. The paintings use all pastels, and it's like of little cottages that you think a gnome is going to come out of. In, in the early 2000s and late 90s, it was kind of a, a, kind of a joke, um, Thomas Kincaid paintings, because the reality is, is that it has this magical illusion of perfection and beauty, and yet the longer you look at it, and the harder you look at it, it really lacks depth. It lacks what makes it real, and it lacks what, make, what art is supposed to do, which is to make you feel. Wellness in this world, the one that we live in, is like a Thomas Kincaid painting. Also, another hurdle that I think stands in our way of wellness is that we actually just don't like suffering. We find it uncomfortable. Um, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do, um, both for our own suffering and for the suffering of other people around us. We feel paralyzed. We regularly feel confused. And we really would prefer to just ignore it and move on. How many of us, our strategy for, um, for suffering, for struggles, is to ignore it and move on, pretend it didn't happen? I think that it's mostly because we just generally find it to be uncomfortable and we don't actually feel like we're equipped as people who like to be perfect. I am one of them also. That we don't like to do it in a way that's not done well. So we don't like to do unwellness badly. So if you think about that, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic. So because of these two things, we slip into telling ourselves lies about our struggles, um, how bad they are, how real they are, and we tell each other lies about what it looks like to get better or um, how to get to a place where we're not suffering. Um, This reality that we live in often lends itself to thinking we can get better through something our culture has started to call toxic positivity. Does anyone know what that is? Okay, it's I'm loving this term right now because I think it gives a word to something that we all experience every day. Um, So let me explain. Um, Toxic positivity, um, let's actually have you all imagine a time first before I just go into explaining. Can you all imagine a time where um, you got a bad grade? It doesn't have to be serious. Um, You could have just handed in a paper that you rushed on and you got the grade back and it was much worse than you needed it to be. It could also be that you had a breakup and so um, a friend was trying to help you get through it. But instead of saying something that made you feel heard or made you feel like, oh, they, they really get where I'm at with this, 
um, they said something to you that made you feel like you had to change your attitude, stop feeling the way you do, or really just think more positively about it. Um, phrases that, would, that are included in this are good vibes only, look on the bright side, think happy thoughts. Your parents might have told you, you get to have this experience. Like as if the hardship you're experiencing here at Wake Forest is a privilege because you get to be here um, in the first place. Um, even worse, the hardship is when that is intermingled with your faith or your spirituality, with your beliefs about God and suffering. Um, when, it, when those two things include, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, or everything happens for a reason, or you're exactly where you need to be. It's a part of God's plan. How many of us have heard those things? There are entire New York Times best-selling books right now that are written by Christians that will tell you that if you choose positivity, set your own goals, and try and achieve them, then you'll be happy. It will tell you that you're, these are direct quotes, that you're meant to be the hero of your own story, that you and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. You should be the very first of your priorities. How many of us have heard things like that? The reality of those one-liners and really the sad part is that they can provide encouragement. They can move you, they can provide relief in a pinch. But they also place a huge responsibility on someone who's already struggling, already suffering, to also then be the savior of their own story. So you have to be the savior, the hero of your own story. You get to pull up your bootstraps and get through this. You just have to work harder or try harder. And are we really able to be responsible for our own happiness or able to keep going when things happen like we lose a parent? Countless students on this campus have lost a parent this year. What about when we've been rejected by someone we love? What about when we've faced a trauma that we can't talk about or a loss of any kind? What about when we're trying to figure out just who we're supposed to be what we want to do with our lives, what major we're supposed to have. And then in the face of those things, we just hear these messages about being positive. I personally, when I hear those things, I hear my internal voice starting to say, ignore, keep going, try harder. I used to actually have a phrase in college um, that was, life's tough, get a helmet. Like as if that was a way of doing life. As if that was a sustainable way of living. Like life's tough, get a helmet. It left very little room for other people to suffer and it left even less room for me to suffer. So the t that is the tension where when we think about what it means to be well or how we get to a point of wellness or what even stands in the way of our wellness, that's where the Thomas Kincaid painting, the Disney world picture, starts to lose its luster. It stops holding up because it only, gets so, it only gets us so far. So you see the magic, but then when things get harder, when struggling gets bigger, or when we don't have the answers to the questions we need, they're not offered in that place where you just pull up your bootstraps even more. What I believe we're really longing for is what Jesus offers in John 5, and it's an invitation to be well. 
I'm going to have us go back to verse 6. And in verse 6, it says, let me get there. Um, When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another step down before me, Jesus then says to him, get up, take your bed and walk. Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? So the man starts giving him, as we've already talked a little bit about, reasons for why he's not well. He lists the criteria he hasn't met or the people that haven't helped him. And yet Jesus told him to get up and walk, and at once the man was healed. So the man believed, and he was healed. Now, please don't hear me say, it would be really easy to, that belief in Jesus means that you won't suffer, or that your suffering will be less. I can tell you that my 2019 would tell you otherwise. What I do believe is rather than hearing keep going, ignore your struggles, try harder, if you accept the invitation to be well, and we'll talk about what that means, you will start rather to hear come, rest. And here's why. In Jesus' invitation, when he invites the man, do you want to be healed? He invites us to look beyond the expectations that we haven't met or what criteria might be missing and is offering us healing that allows for all of you to be accepted. Both all of you and all of you. So he isn't expecting to just get pieces of you or a positive spin on what you're dealing with. Unlike the other places you find yourself across campus or the people that you're in relationship with, where you can only provide a certain version of yourself, Jesus throughout scripture, not just in John 5, tells us that he already knows your story front to back. He knows everything about you. He knows all your suffering, all your mess. He knows your addictions. He knows your struggles. He knows the fight that you had with your boyfriend where you said really awful things. Like he knows all of it. And he knows your whole life's resume, if you think about it. Not the resume you build at the OPCD, not the one that you take a three-credit class to build a resume so you don't actually have to do it in your spare time. I would advise you do that, actually. But (laughs) I think it's a good use of your time. But he knows your whole life's resume, not just the pearly one where you get to put all of your high-level experiences here. And he still wants you. But he doesn't want you just so that you can be in a cubicle. He's not the like proverbial boss that puts you in the copy room. You don't have to start like at the low end of the totem pole. He says in Genesis from the beginning of time that he's made people to join him as co-authors in writing your story even in the midst of suffering. So amidst being really messy people, amidst being people that feel shame, don't like being vulnerable, actually hate discomfort, He says, I want you. Yes, you and you and you and you, all of you. He wants you. And he knows all your stuff already. So you're not just like a pawn in this world of brokenness. Like some people start to feel overwhelmed by the amount of brokenness. But you're not just a pawn in a world of brokenness. And nor are you in a a world where you have to be your own savior like the world would tell you that you need to be. Jesus' invitation sounds a little bit more like this. 
I want all of you. No part of you is too big. No part of you is too messy. You're not a burden. Lay your burdens on me and I will give you rest. Your suffering won't go away, but what will go away is that you have a place to put it. You have a place to lay it down and know that it is already known and already understood. But the reality is, is that's Jesus' invitation, but you don't have to accept it. We don't have to accept Jesus' invitation to wellness. And I think actually sometimes accepting it is the harder choice. So let me make that clear. Sometimes not accepting the invitation is easier, and here's why. Accepting Jesus' invitation means being honest about where we are in our brokenness, where our world is in our brokenness, where our community is in our brokenness. Let me tell you, Wake Forest is in a season of mess. I'm sure you all feel it. We feel it in all the spaces that we're in, whether that's tension, whether that's in our friend groups, whether that's in just our interpersonal relationships, all the way up to really messy institutions like the one where you all go to school and I go to work. And here's the reality of what that means. Both fortunately and unfortunately, your suffering and someone else's are not mutually exclusive. So there isn't a quotient on suffering or a need to compare. There's room for all of us. Um, That can be both really discouraging, but it can also make room for it to be okay for you to not be alone. Um, And so... If what I said about being uncomfortable and suffering is really true, then being that real about that much mess, and this is what I wrote down, but it's really true, it just sucks. Like, it's hard, and it's ugly sometimes. But if we really believe that each of us, there's not a quotient for who gets to suffer more or where our suffering's allowed to be, then it just is going to stink to have to move through that. But there's hope. Unlike manifesting your own future, which requires you to be your own hero and make yourself your own first priority and being responsible for manifesting your own destiny, you're actually meant to do this in community. And that's what makes it easier. So we aren't, we're meant to sit in the hardship together. We're not meant to be alone. So even if we don't say anything at all to one another, even if we can't do a single thing to fix it, just stepping into the mess together, stepping into the idea of being unwell together is actually what makes it better because for all the unwell there is, there's also a lot of celebration and friendship and goodness that comes in those moments. So going back a a ways, for all of my panic attacks I had in college, I did end up seeing a counselor. It did help. Um, I actually left college with 14 best girlfriends, and people laugh at that number and think it's a joke. And um, my group text that only lets 10 people be a part of it will tell you otherwise. Um, That 10 years since graduation, those are still the women that are on my text chain, Um, both as a mom, both as a friend, um, as just a person in my community trying to figure out how to do life. Um, When you do both the unwell and all the really well together, then you can have beautiful relationships that are every bit of Jesus' initial invitation. 
So when he's offering you that invitation, he's not just offering you into hardship. He's offering you also into community of abundance. So unfortunately, some people will not accept this invitation. Some people live years and years, maybe their whole lifetime, pulling up their bootstraps, trying to be the hero of their own story, and ignoring Jesus' invitation to be healed. Here's the thing. It's for many different reasons. It may be because their mess is so big or their pain is too great to look at. It also may be because they don't know where to start. Maybe it's just not their time and they just need to move through their life a little bit more before there's a willingness to do that. But it is a choice. And so for, the, for those of you who tonight are considering that choice or considering the different options to the invitation, just know this. The man at the pool didn't know what we know in the rest of the story in the Gospel of John. We see that Jesus' invitation to wellness means that he will carry the weight of our suffering all the way to the cross. So that when he died, so did the weight of our sin and all of our sadness and all of our, our mess, every illness, every mental health diagnosis, all of it, the depression, the anxiety, even death. What we know that the man at the pool did not is that you can't fix it. You don't have to fix it. And the reason that is, is because Jesus already has. So when we accept his invitation to be well, we may be entering into the hardship of facing the reality of our circumstances, but we're also accepting that we're human and that every flaw is both acceptable and okay in the sight of the only one who matters. So it may not be acceptable in the sight of your faculty members. It may not be acceptable in the sight of your dream job. But it's acceptable in the eyes of the only person who matters. So tonight in closing, I want to invite you not only to consider whether you want to be well. I think that's a personal journey that you get to be on. But I want to start even earlier. I want to start where I think that you all often don't have the time to start. And it's to start paying attention to how you actually are. Don't think about how you should be feeling. Don't think about what you have time to feel. And don't think about that you're just stressed because you went to RUF and now you have to go home and study. (laughs) But actually take time to please pause and check in with yourself and how you're actually feeling in the reality of your life. My second invitation is much shorter, um, but it's to start checking your messages, the ones you you say to yourself and the ones you share with each other. Are you spreading that idea of toxic positivity or are you actually sitting in it with each other and listening? Know that there are people here on this campus that want to make space for you and explore those things. I'm just one of them, but there are many more. Come talk to me, Um, I'll stay after so that if you have questions or wanna talk, I'm here. Um, Ask me if we can have coffee, I'd love to. Um, I would say take a card, but I only have two. I tried to bring a stack. I don't have them. Um, But I will, John has all my contact information. You're welcome to email me, text me, whatever you all need. Jesus offers an invitation for you to be well, but there are many people that want to still support you in getting there. Thanks. So, Amy, thank you so much for that. And seriously, that invitation is for y'all. That Know that us as a staff are here for you in this. 
Um, we would love to talk with you and just really want this to be a community where it is okay to not be okay. Um, we really believe that because Jesus gives us that freedom to be honest about the reality of who we are in our stories. And so um, thanks. And we're going to stand up and sing.